High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, activists, high school rock musicians, and of course, queens, prime ministers, and princesses. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where some friends look back at their teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, despite us being at home, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Hope all of you are staying safe and healthy, and of course, as always, these days, and maybe, you know, for a good long while we'll be doing this, but a salute to our healthcare heroes out there. Thank you for keeping us safe. But of course, this is High School Slumber Party, and you had some homework. The first homework being listening to Monday's episode, as we're bi-weekly now. It was on Beavis and Butthead Do America, and my good friends Dan and Autumn Ferrara were the guests. It was an awesome movie. It was an awesome chat with them. And it was so nice learning that they had their baby. So congratulations to them, and we salute you, young Harrison, and hopefully you'll be listening to High School Slumber Party very, very soon. Of course, you had your homework for this week, and we'll get into that in a second. But first... Wherever you're listening to us now, whether that be Spotify, whether that be Google Play, whether that be Stitcher, whether that be Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe to High School Slumber Party. And if you can, give us a five-star rating. And if you can, give us a nice little positive review. And if you can't do that, or you've done it already, the best way you could help High School Slumber Party is by telling a friend about all the wonderful things we do here every week for the free price of free dollars and free free cents. Check us out again Friday and Monday on the Cage Club Podcast Network. That's cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, the home of so many other great shows. I've been a guest on a couple of them recently. I was recently a guest on Foodie Films a couple times, but I think this week I was on The Founder. And coming up, I'm going to be on our hottest show, Too Fast, Too Forever, the Fast and Furious podcast, hosted by the godfather himself, Joey Lewandowski, and our lifetime man, Joe Two. It's a great show. You want to check that out as well. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Why can't you get it through your heads? I brought the bell home with me, guys. This continues. And we still have this week's homework to chat about. You don't remember what it was? Shame on you. It was to watch The Princess Diaries, a royal and elegant Disney film, which I had a blast watching with my good friend all the way from Australia, Shawnee Mead. I met Shawnee, of course, through social media on Twitter. 
because she does her homework. She participates. She participates the easiest way you can. Social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or email me at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. Highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. Class participation is a huge part of your grade. But without further ado, let's get to princess talk, shall we? I leave you with a song from the film. I consider this the main song, right? Because it plays at the end. Makes sense. And the song is Myra, Miracles Happen. So put on your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're going to have a audio slumber party with Brian. Because we're about to get our party on. Class dismissed. Welcome back, Shawnee. You haven't been on since Harry Potter. I know it's been a, it's been a while. Happy to have you back during you know our quarantine times, but it's not much different for you and I because we've we've always spoke uh, <laughs> this way and, and not in person. You know, we're used to this of communicating by the internet. It's just weird <laughs> to do that with people in our own country or in our own state. Yeah, family members and such. But uh, you know, we have a fun one today. We have a familiar one, at least for me, and and I think for you. Yeah. <laughs> as well and that's the princess diaries 2001 and you know before we get into that remember we introduce ourselves a certain way on high school slumber party and why don't you go ahead and do that all right um well hi everyone i'm back again um shawnee i graduated in 2007 from oatbank area school but um yeah we don't have a mascot but we've talked about that before. <laughs> yes no mascots in australia uh, but you know still Still some good times and still a fun enjoyment of high school movies. Yeah. <laughs> and th- this is surprisingly more of a high school movie than I even remembered. I knew she was obviously in high school, but there are actually a decent amount of high school scenes here. Yeah. And... Skip over school in films. There's like a tiny bit of school and then the rest. Mm-hmm. This is pretty much half school, half princess lessons. So. Yeah, which like you said, I wrote that down. There are lessons too. So it's not like... When we're at a school, we kind of have like a school vibe to it as well. Yeah. Of course, though, every week I read back at the DVD, back at VHS, and you actually provided me with your own today because you own what you said, the dual copy of the original and the sequel. Yes, because it was cheaper than buying two of them separately. (laughs) (laughs) Let me read it now. Disney's The Princess Diaries, a hilarious, hip, and heartwarming modern-day Cinderella story, Mia... A shy and gawky teenager who survives each day of school with minimum attention discovers a shocking news that she's a real-life princess. Funny and uplifting. Your entire family will thoroughly enjoy this crown jewel. (laughs) (laughs) Sums it up well, I suppose. (laughs) You know, we do have some background on this film because... It was actually a surprise hit when it came out. But first, I want to know your background on the film. What's your history with The Princess Diaries? Well, it came out when I was 11. So I still haven't actually 
discussed a film with you that I watched when I was a teenager. I'm, I'm working my way up to it. Close, close. Close, close. Because I mean, Harry Potter, but to me, that's more fantasy rather than high school. But an actual high school film, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting closer. <laughs> I'm like two years away now. Um, yeah, well, first of all, yeah, I'd read some of the books first because I think the first like two or three were out by the time this movie was made, I think, or maybe more, I think. So I was already really familiar with the story. So I was very excited that this was coming out. Obviously, when it came out, it was definitely for me. I was like the target audience because it was not that I ever wanted to be a princess myself. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I was already familiar with the whole world of the, the movie. So I was, you know, really excited when it came out. And I loved it when it came out. I mean, I hadn't seen any Gary Marshall films yet, obviously, but now I've seen all of his uh, rom-coms. And even it has like a funny sort of Gary Marshall rom-com vibe, even though it's for teens, but it's still got a lot of his like fun, fall kind of stuff. Absolutely. He's one of the reasons that I think this film was a success. Before that, quickly, you mentioned the princess thing. It's kind of weird, right? Like, at least in the United States, princess stories are very common. This is a Disney film. They're a princess factory. We don't have, like, royalty in the U.S., so I always found it kind of odd. But uh, this is very clearly Disney's The Princess Diaries. They, they make that clear. I think it's on, like, the DVDs and, and all the posters. It's not just, like, The Princess Diaries, and it happens to be produced by Disney. Now, like, Mia's not, like, a Disney princess in the traditional sense, but... Uh, it comes from a long line of making princess films. Yes, definitely. I assume in Australia, same kind of princess popularity? Um, yeah, it's sort of similar because, I mean, we don't technically have any royalty. We sort of officially sort of, <laughs> but it's not like we associate with, I don't think of the queen as being like, you know, my queen or anything. So I kind of, Ooh. I always feel like Americans are a bit more excited about it. We're kind of like, yeah, royalty, whatever. But we're excited when we had our own princess. You know, so yeah, Mary, the uh, future queen of Denmark, that kind of thing. That was exciting. But um, yeah, I think we're kind of, I mean, we watched the Royal Weddings and we watched the Harry, Meghan Markle one. But, uh, you know, we're not all that excited about that. But. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really one who's like into the royal thing. But uh, certainly there is that, again, huge tradition and huge Disney tradition. And I'm happy that you read the books because when I first saw this film... I wasn't in a theater, but it was when it came out on, like, DVD, VHS, or whatever. As this film, like I said, got very popular. And it wasn't really for me in terms of... Not that I didn't enjoy it, but... Yeah. 2001 was my freshman year of high school, so I might have just been eighth grade or freshman. Not too sure. But, you know, whenever it came out, I was around that age. I don't think I was the target demographic, frankly. But I have a lot of uh, younger cousins and younger siblings. Like, I'm the oldest grandchild on my mom's side. So I saw this film a lot. A lot. And I, and I didn't hate it either. But it seems like, a, you know, a lot of people around my age and, you know, within like a five-year, five to eight-year span down all saw this film it was really really big for the time and i was excited to see it again because i hadn't really seen it in a while and you mentioned they're based on books by meg cabot now one of the big differences that y you probably are aware of but 
they were moved from New York, which they're set in the books, to San Francisco. Yes. San Francisco plays a big part in this movie. It's not just like a setting change. I keep mentioning the hills. The hills, the trolleys. The trolleys, the San Francisco-ness of it all. Yeah, certain neighborhoods they talk about, streets. So they made that change. Just a little background on the book for you guys listening out there. Even early on, it was like, wow, this is movie-worthy. You know, I read this online. Meg Cabot's agent tried to sell the movie rights very early on. Disney bit, but they didn't really have a lot of faith in the project. Not that they thought it would do bad. They're obviously not going to finance anything that would lose money. Mm. But it was also something where, you know, they didn't like build their whole movie season around it either. Yeah. The original title of the script was The Princess of Tribeca, mm. but Tribeca is a neighborhood in Manhattan, and when you move it to San Francisco, that obviously doesn't make sense. No. So when they started producing the movie, the lead producer was Deborah Martin Chase, and I mentioned her because she's actually pretty historic because she's the first black female producer to ever have a studio deal. And this was, again, a huge hit for her. Whitney Houston's also like a producer, which is funny. I never had noticed that before. I think because when I was 11, I mean, I knew who she was, but it didn't, I didn't notice the credits. But I read on BuzzFeed like a couple of years ago and I went, what? And then went, there it is. It's just like, it's not, it's not like they were hiding it. It's clearly there going produced by Whitney Houston. I was like, oh. Yeah, when you're a kid, you don't really read the credits, but that was so interesting. You mentioned Gary Marshall, and again, huge part of the success of this film is Gary Marshall, who signed on to this project. You hit the nail right on the head. You know, Gary Marshall, so many things, I mean, Pretty Women. He really put his stamp on this movie, and I don't know, with another director, this might be like, and I'm not dissing this, but this might be like streaming movie quality or like made for tv movie quality but it definitely made it you know cinematic quality because he was bringing all of his you know amazing skill and all of his people because he every gary marshall film has like all of those background people and like they're always in all of them all the time yeah yeah he really makes his films a family affair you know we lost him a couple years ago but i don't know if he gets enough credit because he's not like an auteur kind of director he's not like you know making like fancy Oscar kind of things. But he certainly has like a very interesting catalog that I think, you know, I'd argue it's underappreciated. It's not all Valentine's Day and Mother's Day and whatever all those. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we want to talk about the end of his career too much. I hate to say it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve. Yeah. What's the other one? Oh, Mother's Day. Oh, my God. Yes. Julia Roberts had a really bad wig, but that put me off. <laughs> He's done a couple Julia Roberts films, right? Besides Pretty Women and that one? Because um, Runaway Bride as well. Runaway Bride. Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, you know, later to have another, you know, rom-com together. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he's good at what he does, but maybe it went too far. I don't know. This is not a Gary Marshall podcast. He certainly kicked ass here in The Princess Diaries. So the other huge factor, and to me, that made this film stand out and made it the hit it was, was the cast and just the acting overall. I mean, let's start with Julie Andrews here. Just to pull Julie Andrews out of semi-retirement, essentially, in a Disney movie. She hadn't done a Disney movie since Mary Poppins. <laughs> well, she's practically perfect in every way, so it was good to bring her back. <laughs> she might not actually be royalty, but 
you know, let's face it, she is the queen of our hearts because, you know, we all love a bit of Julie Andrews. <laughs> and that's what's amazing. You know, you, you say something really cool there that, like, even though she's not really a queen, like you said, she is a queen to anyone who's ever watched, like, a family movie because, yeah. you know, again, Mary Poppins, Sound of Music, just her ability to just add gravitas to this role. And, yeah. you know, if you're going to add, like, some real heavyweight power on a queen role who else would it be unless it was you know helen Mirren? like it's you know those two they have to be the queen but i would argue that julie andrews in this role is even better than helen Mirren because helen Mirren, you know acting she's doing her thing but she doesn't have the disney legacy yeah really that julie andrews has <laughs> right away i even remember being a kid and being like what julie andrews in this film mm. and it didn't feel like one of those things where they bring like an actor who's semi-retired back for like a dumb role like okay i'll, I'll be a little bit more blunt it didn't feel like she just took this to collect a paycheck you know she was definitely you know coming back because she wanted to do the project and yeah i just think she's perfect in that role because she has like a really big role she's definitely like the equal lead i would say of the film again i didn't read the books maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong but apparently like the grandmother character was a little bit nicer in the books no it was actually the other way around okay there's this like this wonderful lovely grandmother that you'd, everyone would want her to be a grandmother but in the books she's like this kind of scary lady and she has like tattooed on gotcha eyeliner and drinks a lot of whiskey and she has like a creepy little dog all the time like she's <laughs> just like really mean and they kind of don't really get on that well because she's just really like mean and demanding so in this she's sort of you know this lovely queen lady who's very grandmotherly but she's not like that in the book at all okay i, I was gonna ask because it's like what are these books like if that's the case okay that makes a lot more sense and of course she's a former oscar winner and found an interesting note that they shot this on the same stage that they shot Mary Poppins. So, like, the last Disney movie she did and this one, same place. It's like, whoa, that's so cool. <laughs> of course, though, we can't talk about this film and not talk about the wonderful Anne Hathaway as, as Mia Thermopolis here. I think this was her first movie, I'm pretty sure. Yes. A really good job because she seems really natural, but she's, like, good at, she has like good comedic timing and is good at all the like funny prep for kind of things because they make her do a lot of awkward stuff and she just takes to it so well. She's amazing, especially again for her first role. So a little background on this role, actually. It was originally offered to Juliette Lewis, which I can't picture now. That's really, I can't even picture <laughs> to do this move. <laughs> well, she actually dropped out and... The studio was like, oh, no, this is not good. So they bandied about all these names. And depending on where you read, most of them rejected it or they just didn't get the role. But here's the list. Christina Applegate, Amanda Peet, Cameron Diaz, Alyssa Milano, Josie Davis, Kate Beckinsale, Tiffany Thiessen, Eva Mendez, Drew Barrymore, Reese Witherspoon, Alicia Silverstone, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Brittany Murphy, Katie Holmes, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Claire Danes, Kate Hudson, Christina Ricci, Jessica Alba, Jessica Biel, and Kirsten Dunst. Some are a bit old. Some of them are old. Some of them are around the same age. Yeah. The point is, though, they were all established. And originally, the studio wanted to go with an established name. N apparently, none of them were 
too particularly interested. So they did a whole new round of auditions, auditioning some unknowns along with some known actors. It ended up being a decision of do we pick a name or do we go with a new person? And if they picked a name, they had decided that they would go with Liv Tyler. Oh, okay. Which, again, I can't picture. <laughs> I can't imagine Liv Tyler ever looking awkward <laughs> and weird and, like, freakish. Exactly. Like, Liv Tyler kind of grossly was in her father's music videos as a teenager as kind of, like, a sex object. We don't have to talk about that now, but it's <laughs> it's creepy but the transition to like dorky princess would not have gone over as well at least that's how we see it now who knows maybe the movie would have been completely different but then the unknown was anne hathaway and anne hathaway so this was the first movie of hers that was released but apparently there was another film of hers that she technically shot before in new zealand and she auditioned for this on a layover from i believe new york or wherever she's from she had a layover in la she auditioned for this and then she went off to new to new zealand to film this rando movie but she was super awkward in the audition she actually like tripped and fell in front of the director oh yeah i did read that and then they were like it's you yes she said she related to mia so much gary marshall saw her and was like this person's so perfect apparently and she didn't even have to do a screen test she got the role once they decided they wanted to go with an unknown she got the role completely based on that audition i'm sure much to her surprise yeah and i mean obviously she doesn't look freakish either like really she's just got bushy eyebrows and curly hair like obviously it's anne hathaway so she doesn't need much to like you know look gorgeous but i mean no no maybe she just needed a brush or some different classes or yeah like everyone acts like she's this massive like you know freak but she kind of is just awkward and has big hair so yeah the hair was a wig that yeah they called the beast i believe because it was just so big on set and the eyebrows took an hour every day to put in because each individual hair what do they call eyebrow hair i guess was glued there but again it it's not yeah, it must be crazy, but it wasn't too dramatic of a change. And he, look, she's a very, as you said, she's a very beautiful person. But she does have a certain awkwardness that I think it's so good. But ironically, Gary Marshall cast her because he thought that that final speech, which is a great speech, we'll talk about it, but that that final speech would be delivered so well from her that like she was she was gold for it and he was so right yeah definitely she makes the movie and she was 17 when she shot this so an actual teenager not too much older than what her character is supposed to be which is nice to see <laughs> yeah because it's very rare normally they're like you know at least 20 <laughs> and this movie is actually rated g which it might be the first G-rated movie. And the, in the United States, I know they do ratings different by you. G is literally the most friendly rating you can get. Yeah, it's like, you know, the first one above. But I think there's another one that's usually like for documentaries about fish or something. But like, <laughs> Okay, yeah, maybe not that one. But like, for like films, <laughs> it's the like, you know, you can't go any more family friendly than that. <laughs> G movies don't do well. Even like Pixar movies are PG usually. <laughs> like... So this, again, a big shock to everyone. And for her to just pull this lead role here and just kick ass like this is just, again, watching it now, I'm still mesmerized. I'm even more mesmerized because I guess I just didn't care um, as much. <laughs> you know, when I'm watching it as a kid, it's just like, whatever. She does an amazing job. She's like, 
spot on Anne Hathaway, which I don't understand why so many people hate on Anne Hathaway. Like I, I do not understand why that happened because I think Anne Hathaway is great and she seems like a really great person as well. Yeah, you can't count me as an Anne Hathaway hater. So many other people, again, would have made this movie pedestrian in their first acting role one more note i had on her that her father in the movies is actually played by her real life father now i don't think his voice was like his letter voice but like you know when you see the scene of him writing composing the letter yeah that's actually him so i'm like that's interesting so it's Mr. Hathaway, because oddly, her and she's named after Shakespeare's wife, so they're not actually the Hathaway family. Oh, really? I didn't know that. It's funny because her dad has the same last name, so maybe they all changed it? Oh. <laughs> when they kind of were naming her, they were like, we like the name Anne Hathaway, but I think her mother at least has a different name. I think it was something weird but i don't think it's like a traditionally the family name or something. <laughs> who knows i just looked up her dad on twitter and <laughs> it indeed is the guy in the movie gerald t hathaway attorney with over 30 years experience hmm. <laughs> good to know if you want to hire him yeah. oh. free plug for anne hathaway's dad as your lawyer <laughs> so this next uh person i want to talk about is a guy i i really like and he's in actually all the gary marshall films which i learned and that's hector elizondo who plays joe yes he's great i love joe and he's always great in all of the gary marshall films yeah he's an awesome actor He's certainly underappreciated. One of the notes I wrote down is that in the script, there was no romance between the Queen and Joe at all. They just subtly added that in? Yeah, so during like some script readings, they noticed that they had a lot of chemistry together. And again, I'm, I'm going to kick it back to Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall's a kind of director who's like, wow, that works. Let's change things up a little. So he subtly added a lot of like scenes of chemistry now there's never like love scenes between them or anything like that and if you read the lines a completely different way and a lot of scenes you wouldn't it wouldn't mean anything but originally in the script he's just like a the faithful driver you know but there's definitely some tension not tension in a negative way but i mean i don't want to call it sexual tension in a g movie but gently hint that <clears throat> even though she's been obviously they have just really liked each other for a long time but She's still kind of in mourning because of her husband's death and like her son's death and like, but certainly kind of, you know, you feel like eventually, you know, maybe when she's not the queen anymore or something, they'll, you know, which spoiler they do in the sequel, they, you know, get married. Oh, again, so I haven't seen the sequel, so I definitely want you to tell me about that after. But yeah, I like that it's just a little subtle and I like that in a movie for teens, you've got a teen romance, but you also got, you know, a romance for an older couple which is nice because a lot of movies don't focus on that but like that still happens yeah yeah and and it's funny you mentioned that because that was a big deal too that was why they wanted to include it in there as well so i'm I'm glad that they were able to include it Mm. so um, a couple other people i want to mention heather matarazzo plays lily who's like mia's best friend terrible best friend whatever (laughs) she's terrible but they have really good chemistry in a sense yeah she's not a good person well i can't say that because she is like selfless in terms of like what she wants to do apparently anne hathaway and her became very good friends during this filming and they still keep in touch today i wanted to bring her up as well because she's in another film we've covered on this podcast called saved and her co-star in saved is the next person i'm going to mention mandy moore yeah i haven't seen that but um yeah i did know they were both in that film yeah and mandy moore has like three films back to back to back kind of teen films i'll say and there's one i think there's one where she plays like the president's daughter 
but I, <laughs> I'm not counting that one. No, I have seen that she like, yeah, runs away and has like a European holiday with some dude. I'm- yeah, I don't know if she's a teenager there or in college, so whatever, we'll ignore that one. But uh, it's this Walk to Remember and Saved were all, all came out around the same time. And obviously she's more known. Well, I don't know what she's more known for these days, but at the time I think she was more known as a singer. But now maybe she's a little of both. Yeah, because of that awful weepy show that she's on. I don't remember what it's called, but... <laughs> I think oh yeah known for that at the moment but yeah so she's certainly like a dual threat i guess i mean i don't know if she has had like a new album in a while this sounds like a mandy more diss that's not what i'm trying to do of course you're talking about this is us in terms of the show which yeah. i've never seen but you're right everyone who watches that cries so <laughs> i just avoid that one i don't i don't have to that <laughs> i feel like if you get into it you really gotta get into it yeah you can't just half watch it yeah you're not a casual this is us fan like oh i just pop in from time to time oh yeah pop in on the tragedy you know there's a couple other people who i recognize but at least two more people i want to mention robert schwartzman plays what's his name michael i guess in the film yeah lily's brother yeah lily's brother and this is his only major acting performance ever yeah non wes anderson schwartzman brother yeah i was gonna say he's a jason schwartzman's brother talia shire's son cousins of hmm, some someone that maybe is well known on this network (laughs) yeah maybe nicholas cage absolutely he's a cousin of the flagship here he's technically a coppola which makes him not a cage, but a, <laughs> a cage rip. Absolutely. So he's in the familia here. And he's the lead singer of the band, which was somewhat popular at the time, Rooney. Mm-hmm. Now, the band does appear in the movie, and they actually play a song from the band. But he really wanted to focus more on his music rather than his acting. That's why he didn't pursue it more. I, I liked Rooney in high school, so it was interesting you know, that he was in this film, but even more, well, I don't want to know, interesting, but even more fun in my life. His band played like a concert in the city, maybe like a year or two ago. It was in New York. And I was like, let's go. So I went and it was cool because I got to see him. <laughs> and I was like, that's the dude from the Princess Diaries. Oh my God, um, I from the Princess Diaries. <laughs> I don't know if you guys had this store Hollister in Australia, but it was, I think it was owned by Abercrombie and Fitch, whatever, but it was like a kind of they're like surf version we don't have it here but i have been in to a store in hawaii yeah okay gotcha and they used to play like a lot of like rooney music and had like that vibe and i can't listen to that band without thinking of that store let's just say like hearing that song really jogged some <laughs> past time spent at the shopping mall we'll put it that way uh, you know, there's other people in here who are recognizable, but I wanted to mention Sandra Oh is the vice principal, and Sandra Oh is like a really, really talented actor. I didn't remember that she was the vice principal. I would say before she completely <laughs> took off in television, Grey's Anatomy and, you know, Killing Eve and all of that, mm-hmm. in just a very small role. I think she's really funny. Like, Yeah. She brings a lot of, like, comedy to a very tiny tiny role i remembered the vice principal i just didn't realize it was her just like the which way she picks up the phone like gupta uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> she's fawning over the queen at that one point like it's just so great yeah she's amazing in this mm. oh i forgot to bring up fat louie the cat so apparently they had a lot of cats and each cat would do a different thing like go down to the floor jump one of the cats was actually anne hathaway's cat so i guess they had to match the cats i'm not sure how that happened maybe she adopted the cat during the filming but thought that was cool i suppose they do that with babies 
like they'll have like a sleeping baby and then they'll have the baby that smiles and the baby that laughs and the they always seem to like have four or five babies because they're not letting them work very long because they're babies <laughs> i thought you meant that anne hathaway like adopted a baby during a film or something i was like whoa that <laughs> babies they like have a lot of a lot of them on the payroll <laughs> <laughs> So that's the cast. Is there anyone else you want to mention in particular? Or? That is all, I think. Like Mandy Moore's boyfriend. I've seen him in like a couple other things. I can't remember off the top of my head. The mom played a big part here, but I hadn't really recognized her from anything. She was played by an, an actress named Carolyn Goodall or Goodell. I think she's British. I think I've seen her in something else. But. Okay. So let's get into it. Let's talk about some scenes. I'll just say off the bat, the first thing that surprised me is I didn't expect this movie to be like two hours long. Yeah, it is actually quite long because i rewatched it just before this and i was like uh <laughs> the middle section just kind of it's a lot happening so early on we get a lot of uh i don't know like establishment of like who mia is right like at least at the time she's just like a kind of dorky teenager like you mentioned she's got that huge hair she's got those yeah. big eyebrows she wears jocks all the time she's like a bit you know but i think yeah, from that, they're trying to go like, you know, she's got glasses and she's talking. <laughs> but she does have the coolest bedroom. Well, they live in a very cool house. Yeah. I mean, which is an old firehouse. Yeah. So she's got like an attic room and then like another bit of room. And then I think she's got like a three bedroom or like kind of crazy because she has the whole like top half of the house. <laughs> and she has a pole to get down in the morning. Yeah, it's an awesome pole. And it's very much... um. She doesn't strike me, yeah, she's like a quote-unquote dork, but she's not like someone who you wouldn't want to be, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. She lives in a cool place, like, she seems to, like, have cool interests. There's, like, some really awesome, like, uh, music posters. I don't know if, like, I was like, wow, she's into Elliot Smith. I was kind of confused. But still, like, it's still pretty cool. Maybe that's Anne Hathaway who can bring that kind of coolness to the character. Mm. You know, early on, some things I noticed, too, that was like, I, I was kind of surprised she'd be into a guy like Michael. Her mom's like this artist, and she seems to have cool interests. And well, oh, sorry, she's not into Michael. The stupid, Maddie, yeah, stupid boyfriend with the stupid hair, John. Yeah, so uh, his name is, who's like a total creep. Yes. Yes, so she's into Josh, and I'm kind of surprised that she's into Josh. It doesn't seem like that's where her interest would lie, but you know what? Teenage girls, they have crushes. Who knows, right? <laughs> they have crushes on stupid, popular dudes, which is, ugh. <laughs> We don't cover too many movies that are based at private school, so this was cool to see. The uniforms and all that. I liked her just, like, going to school with the Razor scooter and meeting up with her friends. It's very, like, sign of the times as well. There'll be murder on all those hills. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Ah. <laughs> and one of the big moments early on is when she has that debate against Mandy Moore, boyfriend, jerk guy. Yeah, which is really awkward and comfortable but all the popular people are being really mean like they want to make fun of her hair and they're just like oh my god she's so embarrassing like, you've had your debate just let her do my thing obviously she's just embarrassed <laughs> yeah she gets sick and again it it really just sets up who, who the character is i think it does a really great job at that too and then they have that bit that she's just sitting like out in the courtyard at school and then someone sits on her and then she like <laughs> <laughs> Somebody sat on me again. <laughs> seems really awful because she seems like she has this really cool life outside of school. And she seems really confident, you know, with her friends and her family and her rock climbing friends. Which Randomly, she works at a rock climbing place. You know? <laughs> does her mom own that place? Is that what it is? Or does her mom work there too? I'm like kind of confused. But... I felt like Mia worked there, but maybe they let her. But the mom shows up a couple times. 
Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's not something I really remember. <laughs> what I like about this movie in terms of my watch is that, like, there's things that really stuck with me throughout the years, and there's things that I guess didn't. The rock climbing stuff definitely did not. It does introduce the idea of the grandmother coming, which seems like a weird scene, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this movie really kicks into gear when Julie Andrews as the grandma shows up. And of course, we get some iconic moments. You know, they have tea at the consulate. And I think one of the most memorable moments of this film yeah. is when she finds out she's a princess. So, you know, like the, like, you are princess of Genovia. Like, Amelia. Have you ever heard of Edouard Christophe Philippe Gerard Rinaldi? No. He was the crown prince of Genovia. Hmm. What about him? Edouard Christophe Philippe Gerard Rinaldi was your father. <laughs> yeah, sure. My father was the prince of Genovia. Uh-huh, you're joking. Why would I joke about something like that? No, no, because if he's really a prince, then I... Exactly. You're not just Amelia Thermopolis. You are Amelia Mignonette Thermopolis Renaldi, Princess of Genovia. Me? A, a princess? Shut up! I beg your pardon? Shut up. Your Majesty, in America, it doesn't always mean be quiet. Here, it could mean, wow, gee whiz, golly wallies. Oh, I, I understand. Thank you. Nevertheless, you are the princess. And I am Queen Clarice Rinaldi. Why on earth would you pick me to be your princess? Since your father died, you are the natural heir to the throne of Genovia. That's our law. Shut up, that whole thing. And then the like waiter guy comes in and goes like you know could mean like you know gee whiz golly wally and she's like oh, okay that's fine she's not telling me to shut up <laughs> they do get to that really quickly but i always find it funny that no one from genovia has an accent they will pretty much sound british but the minute they start you know railing off their titles they put on accents and it always seems a bit like uh yeah it's weird because the prime minister the prime minister he's got an accent Everyone else is like British or American or... Yeah, it's weird. The rival family has an accent. Yes, they're sort of like <clears throat> awful, creepy, not very attractive other family. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to take over the throne. I guess it's not something they wanted to invest in. And also they got Julie Andrews. They're not going to be like, okay, Julie Andrews, now learn an accent. So, the, But yeah, they throw on European accents for that. But yeah, she sort of does the whole, if you heard of Philippe, Christophe, whatever. And she's like, no, he sounds swell or whatever. But yeah, and then she just announces that, you know, you're a princess. And then she sort of goes like, you know, but I want to just be invisible. That's like my goal in life. Please don't make me be a princess. <laughs> a really good, like, you know, two-hander between both of them. I think they both do a really good job in that scene. <laughs> Once she finds out she's a princess, especially on this watch, what struck you? What'd you like? Was there anything interesting or fun? Uh, any fun bits? Um, then it sort of goes into that not a fun bit because then she's kind of angry at, like, her entire family for lying to her it does get funnier kind of after that because then they're trying to teach her sort of 
to walk properly and she's sort of like glumping along. So I love a good makeover scene, trust me. But when we talk about them here, we kind of discuss sometimes how they can be a little bit dated, you know, or like, oh, conform, conform, conform. And that was one of my worries with this film. This is a classic makeover scene, you know, with that Italian guy and... With Paolo. So we begin Principessa. In Paolo's hands, remember, you will be beautiful. You have a thicker hair, but... <laughs> like a wolf. He's all right. <laughs> Do you wear contact lens? Well, I have them, but I don't really like to wear them that much. Now, you do. You broke my glasses. You broke my brush. Gretchen! Hanger! Attach! I love your eyebrows. We'll call them Frida and Color. If Brooke Shields married the Groucho Marx, that child would have your eyebrows. You want to know a big secret? The cucumber does nothing. <laughs> this is something we make up. <laughs> Was in Gary Marshall films as well, that guy. Yeah, yeah. I forgot this actor's name, but he I, I remember him in a bunch of other ones. Just the comb breaking, you know, all that kind of stuff I remembered so much. Obviously, she, looks, she does look very 2001 when she's made over, but she still almost looks like a different person, despite the changes being relatively subtle. You know, she's had a straighten and a blowout and some makeup and no bushy eyebrows, but really they barely did anything, really. But <laughs> She just looks, I think, because annoyingly with makeovers, they sort of have a different attitude afterwards. I don't know, I finally look beautiful on the outside of all of that. <laughs> Makeover scenes are always a bit gross. Cinematically, they're fun, right? But then there's always the problematic nature of them. However, I was actually pleasantly surprised on this watch that after she's made over, it is a big deal to like her friend and to the people around her. Like, mm-hmm. are you being a different person? Are you selling out? Now, it's not like a like a huge deal because it's a G movie, but. Yeah. They do make it a point to say, like, like, are you a different person? I'm not so sure. Yeah. And Lily gets, like, really mean about it. Because, I mean, the minute she sees her makeover, she goes, like, who destroyed you? You should sue. And she just, like, will not stop harping on about it. But then Mia finally, you know, goes, like, will you just, like, leave me alone for once? Like, you tell me what to do all the time. And then she goes, like, just because your hair sucks, get off mine. <laughs> Lily is such a dick about that. Like, she's just keeps going on and on and on and then, like, Mia sitting there like weeping in the car, which is like that bit. I always hate that bit. It's just like, oh, just leave her alone. It is like such a topsy turvy friendship. It is like weird, but you know, I think it's somewhat realistic. You do see a lot of friends like that, and just the fact that she, in terms of Mia, she's a princess. She's. It's not like she's doing it just to get popular and conform, right? Like she has to go to a ball and stuff. Not that I necessarily agree with it, but there are certain expectations of being a a princess, you know, like you can't look disheveled necessarily. Well, at least that's kind of the old fashioned rules, right? So you're going to be, you know, in the public eye all the time. They want you to sort of look, look your best, look as neat as you can. And I I think you're like neat is a keyword, you know? (laughs) Yeah, just look a little bit. Don't have gross fingernails and just, you know, 
be a little bit more refined because you are royalty after all. <laughs> now, it doesn't get too crazy, but it's a good lesson when she is outed by the stylist guy and she has to deal with kind of that at school. We haven't seen that too much in the films we've talked about in terms of having to do with fame in school. Yeah, I think she deals with it well, even though it doesn't really seem to change. Like half the time, the mean girls that all have similar names, which I hate. <laughs> Did you become friends because you have same the same name? But then they kind of half the time pretend to the media that they're friends, but then they still make fun of her. Like when she sort of reveals like a new look to everyone, they all go like, oh my God, look, who's trying to fit in now? Lana, Anna, and Fontana. Uh-huh. <laughs> then they're like Lana and the Lynettes later on when Mandy Moore has a song. <laughs> yeah, um, if this is going to be kind of like a kid's movie, I was totally cool with them because they're not great people and that's fine. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like bullies. Are they fleshed out characters? No. No, they're mean girl one, two, and three. They're really like... <laughs> <laughs> no personality other than just to be mean. But there is that pull, not necessarily for me in high school, but there is that pull for a lot of people to want to be popular. And especially Mia here, because she has a crush on Mandy Moore's boyfriend. He breaks up with Mandy Moore and invites her to the beach party. So excited. W- <laughs> which I, I kind of saw what Gary Marshall was doing here. He was kind of throwing back to like beach party movies of the 60s, which we talked about on this podcast, are like really the precursor to the teen movies that would come later it almost kind of has like a 60s vibe it shouldn't but it does it, but it makes it fun you know yeah and like they add that bit kind of later on to add a bit of like before the whole princess decision they add like an extra bit of like you know drama like because then it, she has to keep canceling plans but like, i think before they <clears throat> get to that bit she has her first like royal function which i feel like that scene kind of feels like it's not in a teen movie anymore and that bit feels like a straight up rom-com kind of thing because she's just like completely awkward and tripping over and setting people on fire and <laughs> yeah that's when we first meet a lot of like the genovians there i don't know why they decided to have all their like independence day parties and welcome things in san francisco but hey the queen's there i guess it makes sense <laughs> bring all of genovia over and the pear juggler <laughs> they're famous for their pears which apparently was a julie andrews suggestion and that's not in the book i don't remember anything about pears <laughs> yeah no the, but that dinner is fun because it's a lot of like slapstick and gag humor. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I read that was an interesting note that when the, for lack of a better word, I don't remember his name, but like the drunk guy's arm is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to go out, but it didn't. So Anne Hathaway improv put pouring the glass on it, which I thought was a great touch. Yeah, and then I love at the end when she kind of turns around and goes like, was that my fault? And then the like, way the guys are going like, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's <laughs> yeah, sorry, no, that was definitely you. <laughs> but at least then like, the Prime Minister and his wife kind of trying to help her out because then she puts like the palate cleanser. But she puts like this massive scoop of like frozen sorbet in her mouth and then starts like freaking out. So they kind of at least do it with us and then it kind of adds a little bit of funniness. So they're not just laughing at how awkward the new princess is. Yeah, it was a fun scene. It was a funny scene. It was a mm. colorful scene. Again, a very regal scene. Uh, you know, like the rival couples, a little bit silly and a little bit kiddish, but that's the kind of movie yeah. this is. Yeah, no, so that was a cool scene as well. But uh, the beach scene I wanted to bring up because, again, that's our little bit of like teenage danger. And then it leads to, you know, awkwardness for their friends because then she has to sort of, she forgets to cancel on Lily because apparently everything is on this Saturday night 
<laughs> she wasn't going to go to the beach party, so then she's kind of going to go on Lily's cable show because Lily's really into causes and saving the whales and save the otters. And so she kind of wants to have, you know, a princess on there because she thinks maybe more people will watch and she'll be able to get her ideas out. But she kind of forgets to cancel on Lily, but she does cancel on Michael. Yes, that was her other plans. Kind of gotten up the courage to sort of go, hey, like, you know, do you want to come and watch my band and we can, like, work on your car and that because oh, she has like a mustang that is at the mechanics yeah so i was just gonna mention that he's just so in love with me but he hasn't told her no yeah i just want to mention the car uh the car scenes are all cool in this film you know like you said it's an older mustang and michael is the one repairing it but i just have a call back to when Anne hathaway tells julie andrews like oh i want you to meet my baby we already know it's the car but just her look <laughs> yeah so again she blows off michael and his band playing at the garage it's just like that but we don't find that out until a bit later <laughs> yeah she blows off what's her friend again lily forgets to tell lily which said she's just so excited about going to this beach party is that where mandy moore sings the stupid cupid song or is it another well here to tell us all about it please welcome lana and the lanettes lana and anna and fontana you're a real mean guy Um, yeah, because for some reason the school puts on Mandy Moore as the entertainment for the beach party. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a school beach party because eventually we see yeah. the uh, the gym teacher who's like a reoccurring character here. Uh, like she's the one who saves. But a uh, stupid boyfriend guy is definitely like using Mia. Because I think, I don't quite remember, but I feel like it's implied that he was the one that called yeah. people and they showed up, you know, at the party and then he like pretends that they're hiding out in a shed. But then he brings her out the front and then kisses her so we can end up on the paper and all of that. And then she kind of obviously is really upset. And her foot didn't pop because that's like her thing. Oh, yeah. She has a very like idealistic mindset. Your foot will pop like an old movie. <laughs> but then that doesn't happen. So she's upset. And then like all the press show up and then he kisses her out the front. But like the girls then pretend that they're helping her. But then bring all the reporters over and then like whip the tent away while she's trying to get changed like that bit just seems like way too mean <laughs> yeah it's very mean they're you know doubling down here but i think they have to and here's why at least in my opinion i think that if this was a pg-13 movie even this would have involved alcohol this would have involved like a little bit more like illicit behavior yeah and that's what have been captured to me this is like disney's way of being like oh we need a kind of she needs to look like she was kind of naked you know and she needs to look like she was you know back to a movie we both talked about like teen witch i am glad they didn't do like that kind of intimate scene you know like i'm glad anything like that <laughs> but so this is like definitely tones it down from that and tones it down from like i don't know like a more mature movie yeah. but it does like push different buttons of like oh my god these people are so mean and again like i said i think they had to do that because they needed to show conflict in different ways yeah and they needed to have sort of a way that mia would kind of decide <clears throat> partway through the movie that she doesn't want to be a princess anymore because then clarice gets really upset even though she won't actually let mia explain what happened but she gets like really annoyed and then mia sort of goes well i don't want to disappoint you again and i just i don't think it's for me but she just seems really like mature in that, that she's kind of decided that 
that she gets being a princess is a big deal and she doesn't want to put that in jeopardy or make them like you know a laughing stock or anything but so she kind of says that she won't be a princess anymore so that's like extra drama in the lead up to the end of the film yeah because she's she feels like she's let people down and again she goes back to like you know maybe it was better just being ignored this is a funny movie that it's two hours because again not that much happens yeah probably some of the middle could have been i mean i didn't mind i didn't feel like it dragged or anything like that i I was just kind of surprised on the time she makes up with lily right like she she apologizes. And then Lily apologizes and says, like, I'm sorry, I've been so awful, but actually I was kind of really excited and I wanted you to be a princess because it means you can <clears throat> have the power to like change things and get your idea. And Lily just obviously is desperate to make a change in the world, but no one is listening because she's a 15-year-old girl. So Yeah, I love she says, I just found out my cable show reaches 12 people. <laughs> Very podcast-like, in my opinion. <laughs> So then she invites Lily to go to the ball with her as her sort of, you know, way to make up for maybe being a bad friend for a little bit. But <laughs> Yeah, so I was going to mention that there's a lot of um, scenes that maybe they're not necessary. But again, like I said, I don't mind them because they just create like cool moments. She has some revenge moments. Like one of them is when she puts the, mic- the ice cream on Mandy Moore's I love that bit. cheerleading outfit. Mandy Moore's just, Mandy Moore just like, it's really mean, just for no reason. <laughs> Making fun of Lily's kind of boyfriend-ish guy, Jeremiah, and then they're like laughing at his hair. And his- oh, I forgot about Jeremiah. That jumper was probably like, it's hideous, but it was probably really expensive because it looks like, you know, a high quality sort of knit. It's very ugly, but like, I think obviously Jeremiah has like a lot of money because he's always talking about like stocks and like I think he's just some like tech. What an interesting character, right? He's a magician who's also like a stock genius and who's rich, like. <laughs> and yeah, he kind of just like keeps popping up, and I feel like he kind of likes Lily the whole time, but she thinks he's an idiot until kind of later, and then they are kind of a couple, I think. But yeah, like Mia's just trying to sit in the courtyard like completely yeah teasing them so then Mia which I think this bit is hilarious just gets up and goes like I just really love like your cheerleading uniform like it's just so cute but then she just even though I don't know why they have ice cream at school that's pretty awesome but (laughs) private school yeah but then she sort of goes over and yeah completely just like mushes this ice cream and all the sprinkles just completely into the front of her uniform and then for some reason, someone just starts the chant of like, Lana got coned. And then Lily's doing it like on a loudspeaker going like, Lana got coned. And then Lana has a complete flip out because all of a sudden people are laughing at her. And then even the teachers, which they probably wouldn't because teachers aren't really allowed to do that. But uh, Really quickly, just to backtrack a little, like at the beach party, did you notice that Josh's boat is called the Josher? Oh, that is so awkward. <laughs> he is a complete ween. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that she gets a lot of her revenge in this, like, baseball scene that happens. Because that's been, like, a recurring scene the whole film. Like, just just pass her and just, like, everyone just move on. Because, obviously, she can't play baseball, and that's fine. But the teacher keeps trying to just, like, you know, come on, we're going to make you be good at sport because I don't want you to fail. <laughs> and then there's a bit they're all kicking, like, soccer balls at her. Like, mm, that's a great way to, you know learn hand-eye coordination but but yeah she finally you know gets her revenge because she i think because she's just completely over stupid josh by now because he's a complete dick then he is making fun of her again so then she just magically becomes amazing at baseball 
and yeah, hits this amazing ball and gets him in the balls, I guess. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Again, I don't know if it was 100% on purpose, but it is satisfying. Uh, that was one word that I really wrote down for this film. Again, I know it's not like, you know, I recently talked about Dazed and Confused, very different film to this. Um, there are a lot of like more ad- adult subject matters, and this is largely a family movie, you know, but it is very, very satisfying at certain moments. Yeah. Um, bef- before we get to like the big emotional ending and all that, throughout the film, as soon as she's known, we're starting to see this like her dealing with fame in terms of stuff like, like the paparazzi, for example. Mm-hmm. Just to go back to that beach scene, really creepy that they're trying to take naked pictures of a 15-year-old. Yeah, I know. Like, um, excuse me, everyone. It's been like two weeks and now all of a sudden we want like, you know, the people want more. They want like, you know, drama. They want scandal. Yeah, I mean, there's also just when she has the whole angle of going out with her grandmother, you know, just driving around San Francisco and such, and the car ends up breaking down and they slide into that trolley. That bit's hilarious. <laughs> It's it's a great bit, and it's also, though, like, the crowds surrounding her, and I just love... It's so simple. It's so simple, but Mia, she doesn't know how to deal with the fame on the press or just, like, crowds, essentially, but the way that, uh you know, Julia Andrews' character, the queen, can just snap into it and know exactly what to say to get out of that situation. A complete pro at it. So then she just, on the spot, invents this sort of special award thing and like bestows the order of the rose on the <laughs> mayor like pulls like the handbrake out of the car because that's come out so then she uses like that to like you know i dub the thing of the rose and i love how they leave and then she goes like you know goodbye trolley people and yeah and it, i was just gonna say it goes back to her lesson and her lessons seem at first like rigid and stuck up and you know like there's even there's the one where she ties mia to the chair with the scarf yeah or <laughs> those those great like you know, how to walk scenes, how to eat scenes, how to do everything. Yeah, they become, like, really fun, those scenes. They're fun bits. And and this watch, I don't know if I remembered it in original watches, but certainly on this watch, I was really uh, struck by some subtle line she puts in, how she's not royalty technically. She married into royalty. <laughs> so you have to imagine that she went through all of this herself. Uh, sorry, the queen, I mean. You know, the queen went through all this herself so there's like kind of like a little relation there and we get a lot of moments later right like when she she gets angry at mia obviously for doing that whole the beach thing and joe kind of says like no he didn't say exactly this but like you might not have been harsh as a queen but you're kind of harsh as her grandmother and in, in those moments there's a lot of heart in the film like i i don't have children but but like this is a film i would definitely have my children watch and be like you're probably gonna enjoy this this is a good movie yeah definitely and it's good for parents and kids. Like, if you had to watch mm-hmm. it with your kids, you wouldn't be like, ugh. <laughs> it's got something for everyone. It's a true family movie. But again, yeah. I-, I think it's watchable, at least more watchable for adults. Yeah. Because of the great performances, though. Like, if you just had anybody in these roles, it might be kind of a corny script, especially if people were playing it a little bit over the top, you know, like, I'm the queen, you know. Like, you know, the Christmas print on Netflix. Yeah, I didn't want to mention it by name, but yeah, you know. But it would be like, <laughs> you know, all of those films that now Netflix makes a million films with made up <laughs> European principalities all of that kind of stuff like but yeah this because of the cast and the performances and the way the film is made it definitely elevates it to like a you know something you'd want to watch 
you know, more than once. <laughs> yeah, no, in so many ways. Let's get to our big ending, right? So as you mentioned, Mia has said she doesn't want to be a princess. And her grandmother has a really good line where she says something along the lines of like, you know, still come to the ball. You know she's disappointed. Everyone's a little disappointed. But she's like, you're still family. You're still going to be invited to these things. Mm. Like, uh, you know, I have faith in you. And I actually feel like you would have been a really good princess. But but then she has to renounce her title, which then Mia completely freaks out because it means public speaking. (laughs) She kind of decides to run away, driving to Colorado by herself. And she doesn't have a license. (laughs) No, and... Her car doesn't work that well, despite her keep trusting the same mechanic, but whatever. It's just too far gone and the mechanics are doing their best, but it's just, like, you know, I think it's had its time. <laughs> but this great big ball, again, everything looks beautiful and very, like, princess-y, but she she has a convertible, the cars are convertible, and she goes out in the rain, it breaks down, so she's all wet, but realizes that, you know, she you know largely she realizes that she actually does want to be a princess because of a letter she discovers from her dad and that was like a nice touching moment obviously her dad has passed away and obviously he's not it's not like a message from the grave but it was written for her 16th birthday which is coming up and there's a nice little quote in there and because of that joe is one of the first to realize that she probably ran away he goes and finds her in his cool limo um (laughs) brings her to the party and if i sound like i'm rushing i'm sorry but the reason i'm rushing is because when she gets to the party and i didn't maybe i'm just emotional these days but i was really affected by her final speech i thought it was like such a heartwarming moment um it's so true and real it didn't sound regal but it also didn't sound like someone who was shy and reserved like just the fact of like duty and realizing that all she can do in this position and it was like oh my god like i was getting a little misty-eyed hi er, i'm uh hello i'm mia um it stopped raining (laughs) get your tiara daddy (laughs) i'm really no good at speech making uh normally i get so nervous that i i i faint or run away or um sometimes i even get sick But you really didn't need to know that. Um, But I'm not so afraid anymore. No, my my father helped me. Earlier this evening, I had every intention of giving up my claim to the throne. And my mother helped me by telling me that it was okay and by supporting me like she has for my entire life. But then I wondered how I'd feel after abdicating my role as princess of Genovia. Would I feel relieved? Would I feel sad? And then I realized how many stupid times a day I use the word I. In fact, probably all I ever do is think about myself. And how lame is that when there's like 7 billion other people out there on the planet? And when... Sorry, sorry, I'm going too fast. But then I thought, if I cared about the other seven billion out there instead of just me, that's probably a much better use of my time. See, if I were princess of Genovia, then my thoughts and the thoughts of people smarter than me would be much better heard. And just maybe 
those thoughts could be turned into actions. So this morning when I woke up, I was Mia Thermopolis. But now, I choose to be forevermore Amelia Mionette Thermopolis Rinaldi, Princess of Genovia. <laughs> I've realized that, yes, I might, you know, be a bit scared. Let's, you know, think of all that, the good that I could do. Because then she kind of starts her speech going, it's stupid how many times a day I say the word I. And then she just decides that she'd actually be really disappointed if <clears throat> she just, because she was scared, just, you know, gave it all up. And my favorite part is that she's just uh, like, I forgot what she's wearing, but she's got like the wet hair. She's just in casual clothes and she's out from the rain. And like the reporter's like, oh, she's sporting a grunge look, you know? like With like, you know, jeans and darks. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of a complete mess. I think by the end, people don't even notice what she looks like anymore because she's saying this like amazing. Yeah, it was a really great speech. You know, just... And then she sort of ends up, <clears throat> she then puts on the accent because she does the, you know, this morning I was Mia Thermopolis, but now I choose to be forevermore Amelia Mignonette Thermopolis Rinaldi of Genovia. Yeah. And then they rush Paolo in and he like, you know, pitches <laughs> her up for the ball because obviously she can't go out on the dance floor looking like that. <laughs> no, and she looks, you know, she's in this great gown and she looks elegant and... Her first tiara that Clarice is like... <clears throat> This was my first tiara and it was always my favorite. So she, you know. So even then, she was obviously still just hoping that she'd finally decide and go, yes, I'll be the princess. <laughs> when you go through Anne Hathaway's career, you can't not talk about this film, not just because it's her first one, but it's definitely one of her more iconic performances. What did she win an Oscar for? Les Miserables, I think. I don't know. I didn't. Yeah, I think it was that. I didn't see it. I mean, you know, to me, it's like this Devil Wears Prada. She's had a couple things where she really like stands out but it all started here and it's just from her naturalistic performance that it's it's a silly it's a silly disney movie let's be honest but she's able to again draw me in and this speech does it like the speech is the reason why as silly as it sounds you know i'm sure some of my hardcore listeners are listening and be like brian you got emotional at that i'm like i'm sorry i did i got into this film <laughs> um you know, i don't have to apologize for it it's a good film <laughs> she just seems really natural and kind of real and heartfelt in her performance so you just kind of you know and everyone can find something in her performance that kind of speaks for sure and we you know we end with dancing the queen's dancing with the prime minister she's kind of looking for a partner and michael who she invited which is there seems like really awkward like because obviously the press secretary like charlotte who's kind of the assistant probably would have mm -hmm. whether mia had a date or not but I, that bit seems really like they should have like had someone on standby to dance with Mia. So she's now just announced her as a princess and she's now just like standing. Like looking around. Yeah, I was thinking that. You know some diplomat, yeah. <laughs> or then like the prime minister could then dance with her as well and then someone else could dance with Clarice. But Yeah, you would think. And then I, I thought I thought Joe was going to dance with and then the prime minister. You know, like there was, there was a bunch. Of, it was a little awkward. But then yes, Michael kind of appears because she, in an attempt to kind of make up with him for cancelling she invites him to the ball but strolls in you know dances with her at the ball and then they finally have a 
little chat out in the garden. We never really see that transition, but now all of a sudden, because she doesn't have a thing for Josh anymore, she's sort of in the background as obviously realised that Michael likes her and she likes him as well. He's a much better choice, obviously. He is, but look, I like um, I like Robert Schwartzman. I mean, he seems like a nice guy. Uh, I do like the character, but it was in this scene. Yeah, it did. This bit feels like a tiny bit rushed because it's sort of up until now we kind of don't know that Mia likes him. No, exactly. And he doesn't seem. I'm not dissing him because again, I know I mentioned like this was his last true film role, but apparently, in the last couple years, he's dabbled into acting again and doing some other stuff. But who knows? But so again, this is not personal, Robert Schwartzman. If you're listening. But I do feel like in that scene, he seems like he doesn't want to be there. <laughs> like transition that then it's sort of like the whole film, he's been really into me and she hasn't reciprocated because she didn't realize. But then it's kind of like, he goes like, why me? And she's like, because he saw me when I was invisible. But that kind of seems, line always seems a bit odd because up until then, she hasn't really noticed that he noticed her. Um, a big thing in the book it's actually reversed because in the books for <clears throat> after the josh thing in the first book for about the next four books after that mia's got like a massive crush on michael but he doesn't know and he doesn't notice because she's just lily's best friend and then they kind of eventually get together but then they i think they stayed together for the rest of the book so it was they obviously wanted to throw that in because it's a big part of the story but yeah it just kind of i wish they'd given because they gave a lot of other things lots of time in the middle i wish they'd kind of had at least one other scene between the like them having an argument kind of thing and then the ball yeah and i mean you can tell me about it a little bit later but i feel like that's the one thing missing from a traditional princess story like the quote-unquote prince charming i'm fine with it but he's like almost like a hipster before they were hipsters he's like almost like a i care but i don't care kind of thing of course joe dances with the queen as we mentioned which is nice and then it breaks out just like a fun dance party um to that like miracle miracles happen song yeah i read uh while doing my research that they actually played madonna's like a prayer during this scene and they're just like dance and have fun apparently you could actually see people mouthing like a prayer in the background (laughs) (laughs) and again that's not the ending ending because i I liked how they had this little coda right like she's on the plane talking about like gonna happen next what's gonna happen and you see genovia which is just like england or something but you know like (laughs) it's it's still cool though yeah and she finally sees a palace and then she's sort of just like we're going to be moving to genovia which doesn't happen in the books they stay living in new york and then just in the summers she goes to genovia for stuff but oh that's interesting so the time she just is still in new york going to school doing her thing she still has princess lessons but yeah this was a nice like way to tie off the film that's kind of like you know she's moving to genovia she's gonna be a princess like you know lily and michael are gonna visit she's taking a stang with her when she which she'll be allowed to drive finally because she'll be 16 <laughs> yeah and also she's a princess so i'm sure yeah <laughs> they have different license rules in genovia apparently so <laughs> so before we like talk about some awards and, and the ratings and all that tell me quickly because you said you've seen the sequel was the sequel enjoyable did you do you think it was faithful to this um i liked the sequel it definitely wasn't faithful to the books because they kind of because in the sequel at the very beginning like you never see michael again and she's on a plane again doing like a voiceover i think it's more the voiceovers because she's writing in her diary you know the princess diaries there's got to be a diary 
but she kind of goes like, you know, oh, you know, we're just friends now. And I remember when the next book after the sequel came out, Meg Cabot wrote in a bit that Mia was like, uh, I don't know why they wrote him out of the film because we're still together. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the sequel kind of is, it's directed by Gary Marshall again, but this one's like full on rom-com everything. Like she's back to kind of being, even though she's a bit more refined, she's back to being like awkward and falling over and there's like a new romance with Chris Pine, who is in the, that was one of his first films, I think. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I think there's like a, well, they invent some other, drama that now she sort of won't be eligible to take over as queen unless she gets married within 30 days or so that's kind of the plot of that so it's like full-on rom-com they're trying to find her husband completely like departs from the books but it does kind of it matches with this film at least because of the whole gary marshall feel but i don't enjoy it quite as much but it's still a good, it's all right, but yeah. There's been a lot of rumors about Princess Diaries 3. Who knows if we're ever getting that, but uh, I'm not sure what it would be, but that'd be interesting as well. I don't think you've been on since I've had these awards, maybe? I, I don't know. Uh, no, but they have. <clears throat> okay, so the first award is the, the Wooderson Award. It's named after Matthew McConaughey's character in Days and Confused. And in that film, uh, he was only supposed to be in like a couple scenes, but... The director loved him so much that he added him to more and more stuff. And, of course, Matthew McConaughey today is very famous and very successful. So the award is for a character who you would have liked to see more of in this film. Is there anyone who they didn't focus on enough that you wanted to see a little bit more of? I don't know, because I feel like I was gonna say maybe a bit more of kind of Joe, but I don't really know where that would fit. So I feel like maybe he probably was in it enough it's hard to say right but like i think joe might have just like given the award to himself already because again (laughs) he was just supposed to be a driver and he's he built himself a romance story so (laughs) so maybe a little bit more of joe but uh he did a good job on his own for that one (laughs) all right the long duck dong award uh again we know all about long duck dong but it's a character whose omission would make the film better who, whether it be racial insensitivity or not, I don't think we have that here, but is there anyone you would delete from the film to make it better? Um, maybe just some of the mean girls. I don't know. I feel like they're a bit... <laughs> I, don't, I feel like we could have just had one mean girl. I don't think we needed Anna and Fontana or whatever, but... No, but you need that... I think you need the classic group, you know? <laughs> it's not mean girl, the movie. It's mean girls. I mean... <laughs> Maybe it didn't need the next door neighbor. Oh, Mr. Robitussin. I actually liked him. I forgot. We didn't talk about him because he was funny because he kept like writing the screenplay or like it was a soap opera. I feel like I've seen him pop up in other films. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of just like a weird interlude. Like he's writing his little sitcom over there. But You know who I would nominate for this? And not because of the actor or anything like that, but like how the mom starts dating the teacher, but we don't really get much of it in the film. There's no like awkwardness. It's just like, oh, don't date my teacher. Okay, but I'm going to date him, you know? Because <laughs> in the books, the, they get married <clears throat> and then they have a kid. So it's kind of, I think they wanted to just throw that in. But yeah, I feel like in the context of the film, I don't really think it needed to be there. No, yeah, that was a little bit weird. Gotten rid of that teacher or just had him as like a nameless teacher of leading debate or whatever yeah mr o'connell or whatever his name is which is different in the book i I mean just to go back to the last award speaking of the school maybe we need a little bit more of sandra O and a little bit less of him yes because she was great i think she could have done with a few more scenes (laughs) yeah that would have been cool (laughs) okay cameron fry award and this is a famously 
Uh, Alan Ruck was 30 years old when he played Cameron Fry in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So was there any... It kind of seems believable as a teen, which is weird, but... It, he definitely seems believable, but... but... Wow, world, <laughs> of course. <laughs> was there anyone who you felt was too old to be a high schooler? No, I feel like they all seemed pretty legit. Like, I think even if maybe they weren't the right age, they all looked kind of young-looking. So I feel like... No, I feel like they got a pass on that. I don't think anyone looked too old. I was just looking up their ages quick. I think we've even talked about some films where... The, you know, there's like a hunky guy, but he's got a, a 12 o'clock shadow, or sorry, a 5 o'clock shadow. Like, again, Teen Witch. Like, that guy doesn't look like he's in high school. Yeah, no, he definitely doesn't. <laughs> 12 o'clock shadow, because, like, I don't know, <laughs> that makes him just sound really old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I feel like they all looked, even if they weren't, they all looked real. Looking at it now, like, at least Michael, mm. Lily, and Mia were actually all the same age. Yeah. And they were all teenagers, so. Mm. And I think all the others kind of just looked. Yeah, Mandy Moore was the same age. like So I, they actually strangely casted very well in terms of age. Yeah, even um, even Mandy Moore's boyfriend or whatever was literally the same age. Like, it, it's amazing. Rarely do they do that well in films, but they did it here. So good for them. So really no one can get that award. But uh, Because it's Disney, I think, because they always have. Sometimes Disney go a bit older, but they often, like, all their shows and stuff like i feel like high school musical except for a couple they were all pretty much yeah that's a good point and again they are this is a family movie but they're definitely trying to target people who are younger than high school here so they're not um I, again i don't want to put it like this but kind of like they're not like picking people who they want to like over sexualize you know yeah because they want you know, little kids like i mean i was 11 so they seemed like really old to me but <clears throat> <laughs> well, obviously now you watch it and go no i think they just you know they seem teen. It wasn't like American Pie, like, oh, I want to see this girl take her shirt off, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, that's nothing to do with this movie, which is which is fine, which is good. But, uh, I, you know, that kind of like cracks the case a little bit in terms of in casting. Like, why do they sometimes cast older people? And sometimes it's that like, oh, I want <laughs> this guy to be a heartthrob to everyone. But here it's just like, let's just make, you know, high schoolers, which is nice. Mm. So um, the critics did not like this film. 48% by the critics, 68% by the audience, which seems kind of low even by the audience. But um, like I said, it was a surprise hit. Some critics liked it, but a lot of critics put it on their worst movies of the year list, which is weird. It's not, you know, serious and Oscar worthy. It's like trash, but everyone is trying to win Oscars. Exactly. There's a definite niche for a film like this. And if you compare it to other Gary Marshall films we get later, like you said, Valentine's Day or Mother's Day. This is much more watchable, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, those films, they're not amazing, but they're like, they're not really meant to be. They're just... No. I think it's just that, maybe it's because Gary Marshall directed it and he's known for rom-coms and critics are always like, you know, oh my God, it's got romance, blah. Like, you know, critics don't really enjoy rom-coms. You know, they always discount them as like rubbish, so... That was probably part of that with this film, but the target market didn't care. We enjoyed it. <laughs> no, and clearly um, people spoke in terms of how much money it made, but also in Anne Hathaway's career. She was super hot after this. She got a lot of 
a lot of roles. You know, she ends up transitioning to a lot of adult roles. She wasn't just like a teen star stuck <laughs> in that mold, you know, like she could have done like Ella Enchanted movies her whole life or, or at least. But she kind of quickly, she did Ella Enchanted and then sort of quickly moved out of that. I feel like the next thing she did after like teen stuff was Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. And that's definitely not. Mia Thermopolis, Ella and John. <laughs> Roll, because like, it's definitely like, okay, Anne Hathaway is doing films for adults now. Like, you know, but she, you know, transitioned almost right away into great roles and now has won an Oscar and still doing great stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like, again, the legacy of this film is Anne Hathaway in my mind. It's a great film to watch, especially in a family, but this is. This has become uh, Julie Andrews, of course, but this is not Julie Andrews' legacy. You know, <laughs> she already had that, so this is just you know added on to that. But. Absolutely. So, uh, from an A plus to F scale, what will you grade the Princess Diaries? Um, I think I might give it hmm, maybe like a B plus, but like lots of pluses that it's nearly an A minus. It's that kind of. <clears throat> I think it's that kind of range. <laughs> yeah, um, so I, I gave it a B. I think it's a fun movie. I think it's a rewatchable movie. Is the the crowd who are into like zombie films and people's heads being cut off going to be into this movie? Maybe not. <laughs> films can't be for everyone. <laughs> no, yeah, this is a this is a weird podcast because it, there's so many genres we discuss on this podcast, you know, um, and this is certainly more again in like the family movie teen movie kind of thing this is very inoffensive film but it's a fun film and again like i'll say it a million times the performances carry it from made for tv or today a streaming movie yeah to um actually like a a hit in my mind Mm. so um princess diary sleeping bag any ideas for what that one you want that to look like maybe i'll go with like a sort of you know silver one you know royalty tiaras that kind of thing i'll maybe have just like a silver glittery sleepy bed oh that's cool i, I think i'll have one that has like uh genovian pears on it ah of course that would be very cool. <laughs> anything else you want to mention about princess diaries um no i think we've kind of you know covered all of that <laughs> So you and I were having this slumber party. We're, you know, we're having a good time. We're watching Princess Diaries, but of course, we're, we rented Princess Diaries. That's our free movie. What's our two other movies we're going to watch on this awesome slumber party we're having? I feel like they'd still have to be like this kind of style of film. <clears throat> we have to be, you know, some sort of <clears throat> family-friendly teen kind of style. Oh, what would it be? Or we could kind of just throw in like a classic. We could probably watch Clueless afterwards. <laughs> I think we should pick Ella Enchanted because Anne Hathaway's in it. And, you know, um, what's her name? Kiwi Smith helped write it. And she wrote 10 Things I Hate About You. I think it fits in well. <laughs> Definitely. And or we could skip Clueless because it's a classic, but maybe it doesn't kind of fit in here. Well, we could just watch the sequel. Yeah. All right, we'll do that. We'll throw <laughs> Anne Hathaway triple feature, and we'll end it with the sequel. Sounds good to me. That works. Well, it's always a pleasure, Shani, and we'll have you back soon. So, uh, where can people follow you? Um, well, you can just follow me on Twitter as usual. I'm just at Shawnee Mead. Um, I'm probably just 
feel like I'm tweeting a bit more than usual because I'm obviously watching a lot of lot more film. Yeah. There'll be a lot of, you know, stuff of what I'm watching and <clears throat> a lot of gifts, that kind of thing. But <laughs> You certainly enjoy your gifts. As do I. As do I. It, I, I think it's so fascinating that, that in our history right now, in our internet history, like gifts are they're just so perfect right because like it's not a movie like you don't have to send someone a whole video because that's like could be too long or has noise you know but it's better than a picture so it's like the perfect perfect thing you could send to someone to express a moment and because there's so many you can just i can always pretty much find a specific gift that i want and if i can think of like a movie scene that goes like oh this is the perfect answer to that thing someone's just said but can't say anything that eloquent myself so here's a gift I'm like <laughs> searching I want to often put in a lot of like search categories in Giphy because I'm I want something specific I don't like to just get what's on the first page I like to you know sometimes you don't even have to answer yourself you just send a gif and it's like perfect <laughs> exactly what I wanted to say but it's already been said by someone else <laughs> well godspeed all the gif makers out there so that's for sure <laughs> we appreciate you and you should be paid but Oh, yeah, that's not a thing yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thankless job. Well, yeah. I will thank you, though, for being on the podcast, as always. Thank you so much, Shani. And thank you for having me back. It's been, um, it's been good fun. It's been a nice distraction. Yeah. Miracles happen once in your life when you believe. Sorry, that song's in my head now. <laughs> I got into this movie. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it was awesome. And it was awesome having Shawnee on, despite, you know, the distance between us. We could always have a good conversation, and we could always relate to the high school films that we happen to be talking about. And that's what High School Slumber Party is all about, guys. Thank you so much every week, or bi-weekly now, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. It's given me some focus during this difficult time period. It's given me something to do, and it's been pretty awesome. So, you know, slumbers, you are everything to me. You you are my princesses, all of you. You are my princesses of Genovia. I knight you that, or whatever it is. Maybe I'm going crazy. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, homework for next week. Very, very important, guys. And when I say next week, remember, not next Friday, next Monday. But you're going to watch a little film called Flying. Here's the trailer. Hmm. Couldn't seem to find a trailer. That's odd. Oh, I guess it has an alternate title. You're going to watch a little film called Dream to Believe. Hmm, nothing came up for that trailer either. That's odd. Oh, I guess there's another title for this movie. You're going to watch a trailer for a film called Teenage Dream. No trailer there either. That's odd. You know what? The whole movie's on YouTube. Search any of those titles. You'll find it. It's one of Keanu Reeves' first films. And this is kind of a callback to another show on the Cage Club Podcast Network, one of the original shows, Keanu Club, which was the Keanu Reeves podcast, of course. So you have some extra homework. Not only are you going to watch this film, which is available everywhere, because I believe it's in the public domain, but you're also going to listen to the episode of Keanu Club on Flying, a.k.a. Teenage Dream, a.k.a. Dream to Believe. And we're going to bring back the originals from that episode. That's right, the godfather himself, Joey Lewandowski. 
resident historian, the man who's been on this podcast so many times, the super senior, Mike Manzi will be here. And we have another returning guest from Wistful Thinking. That's Jordan Poland-Clark. Recently celebrated a birthday, by the way, so wish her happy birthday. That gang will be here, and we're going to talk flying. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be crazy. Definitely watch that. Definitely do your homework. And definitely tune in on Monday for our chat. So without a trailer, I guess i got to leave you with another song from the Princess Diaries soundtrack. And that song is by Crystal Harris. It's called Supergirl. And remember, guys, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you might miss it. Later, dudes. Sometimes I have dreams. I picture myself flying above the clouds, high in the sky, conquering the my magic piano never being scared but then i realize i'm super girl and i'm here to save the world i wanna know who's gonna save me i'm a super girl and i'm here to save the still here? It's over. Go home. Go.